0: Buffalo Wild Wings has specials on food from three to six, Monday through Friday, and great deals on drinks all day. It's the perfect way to offset a long day. Text that hilarious joke about your boss to your boss. What, no, no. Try a $3 Wild Herd by Goose Island. Set your morning alarm
1: for 6 p.m. That calls for $5 strawberry margaritas. So if you ask your phone why you're still single and- Ha ha ha, seriously? Head to Buffalo Wild Wings. At participating locations, taxes and fees apply. Dine-in only, drink responsibly. Offers vary by location, void where prohibited.
0: Exo Nation, our guest this hour is Jennifer McCallum, along with her husband, Dr. John Bird. They have written One Day, One Night Portraits of the South Pole. Their website is www.portraitsofthesouthpole.com. First of all, uh, Jennifer, I want to thank you ever so much for coming on the show tonight with us and sharing your experiences, and for for both you and your husband for writing this great book and giving people a a, a more personal insight and more more. Well, personal look into the South Pole, so thank you.
1: Well, well, I'm really enjoying chatting with you.
0: Thank you, dear. Um, you were telling us before we went to the break that there are people who kind of um, go cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs up there?
1: Yes, that's, that's correct, yes.
0: What happens? How do they act? What do you do with them?
1: Well, I... I I don't think anybody had any good plans to how to deal with them. I, I think we had to, you know, I I had to deal with it myself. You know, I I remember, um, I I remember one fellow in particular. Um, he was a really nice guy during the summer, and as soon as the sun set and the station, clo- or well the, I mean, the station closed. Um, so that was before the sunset. But but he he turned. It was kind of like a dark mask went on him. And I, I remember one day, I, I accidentally spilled some garbage out in the walkways, and and so I was trying to figure out if I had done it or not, and I was told he was the person to talk to, and then I remember in, in front of everybody in the dining hall, he, he said to me, you spilled the garbage on purpose, and then people started tittering, and people thought it was funny, and then the fellow who was in charge of uh-huh. safety, safety Ryan, we called him, he looked away from me, and... <laughs> <laughs> and it was it was it was scary, and and I think, um, and just lots of little things. Like I remember when, um, we were planning the rescue. That was a huge logistical effort to have the the plane land at the South Pole. And I remember one of the guys saying, "Oh, that'd be really interesting to have mass casualties." <laughs> you know, You've got to like, be kidding. Oh my dear. gosh!
0: my gosh! <laughs>
1: um, just it was just a lot of you know people they were people would just get really moody and you w- you wouldn't be sure what to do so so mm-hmm. a lot of us you know while we had some really nice social times a lot of us spent a lot of times kind of hiding in our rooms doing things on our own or you know with small groups of people
0: tell me about the long green bean affair
1: <laughs> well all right that that kind of uh, illustrates my craziness um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I i was a little crazy too i think uh anyways I, I there was a a small group of science folks on station who late at night would cook up really fancy meals and and one of their favorite things uh was long green beans and so so they used them up and then they ordered some more uh we had a storage berms um and so they they ordered some more to be delivered with uh, heavy equipment back into the dome, and uh, we unpacked them all. And mm-hmm. I remember my uh, the kitchen supervisor, my boss, being a little bit perturbed because he hadn't ordered any of this stuff. Anyways, we put it all away, and then not long, maybe a week or so later, I went looking for the long green beans, and they were gone. And I remember I, I just, I was like, oh, my goodness, I got so mad, and I went pawing, I looked everywhere, and I found those long green beans, and I went marching back in to the other cook I, I worked with, and I said, Tim, I found those green, long green beans. And he said, okay, well, what does Andrea hate? And uh, is like, well, she doesn't like mushrooms and she doesn't like onions. So he, he's like, okay, well, we'll, we'll, cook up, we'll cook up the long green beans with, with, with onions and mushrooms. And, see, and, and I said, great, we'll see how she likes that. And then I went and hid all the rest of the long green beans.
0: <laughs> what was it like being the lowest on the totem pole?
1: It was it was a, it was a really interesting experience, you know. I I was, you know, feeling pretty good about myself being a master student and an academic, you know, so there's a little bit of prestige there. And then, you know, I, I land at the South Pole mm-hmm. and and suddenly I'm I'm in this kitchen working harder than I've ever worked in my life, struggling with altitude sickness. Um and 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 I just I found it I, at first I I was really quite resentful, you know, and, and found myself like, This is terrible. But then I thought, you know what? Washing dishes for a year is, is going to be really good for my character. And and I found once I, I changed my attitude, mm-hmm. I started I, I I I started being able to like I remember the other dining attendant I worked with, I think she was frustrated too. Um, and she wasn't even that nice to me, but then it seemed I became open and and her her and I got along great. My supervisor, who you know didn't really want to deal with me too much. I finally approached her outside the kitchen and and we and we established a very nice relationship and then I found you know what there was people who liked me for who I was and you know and certainly the music side that was that was just wonderful. and then there's people who who didn't think so much of me, and, and I kind of became okay with that, although I, I went through a crisis in the middle of the winter where I was getting quite picked on and, and pushed around, and and so I really felt like I was losing it, and I, and I really, in and, and the previous winter, you know, a cook had quit, In our winter, one of our cooks almost quit, but we had a tight enough family sense with the two cooks and I, it didn't happen. Mm -hmm. But I really felt like I was losing it. And I realized I had a responsibility at the South Pole to take care of myself. So I wrote a speech and with my knees shaking, got up and told people how they needed to be treating me and what their responsibilities were. And then after that, and the kind of the most respected person in the community, like kind of like an elder in a First Nations community right. type person, mm-hmm. he, he stood up and publicly said, I support you. And that turned my winter around. So, so, so being lowest on the totem pole, I, I think, is something that stayed with me. And I think it's helped me treat other people with better respect. I think I learned a lot from being in that position.
0: All right. I have to ask you an honest question you ready for this one?
1: Uh, I'll, I'll see.
0: All right. What was the food really like at the South Pole? What kind of dishes would you serve out to the, to the other people that were there?
1: Well, the, the food was pretty normal. Like really? we, we had, you know, I mean, everything was frozen mm-hmm. that we were working with, save for we did have a small hydroponic greenhouse and had, you know, salads every two hmm. weeks and herbs we can put in salads. But it's amazing what you can do with frozen food. And, uh, and so I, I would say it was pretty similar to, say, like kids going to camp oh, or well, cafeteria food. So it wasn't terrible.
0: What, did you have any need of money down there?
1: Um, only really to purchase. like pe- there, there was a lot of drinking down there, so yeah. people purchased a lot of alcohol. Um, and then if you wanted to buy souvenirs. Like I, I spent a fair bit of money on souvenirs, but other than that, no, you, you really didn't need any money.
0: Hmm. Did you see any of the, the local wildlife while you were down there? Ha ha
1: ha ha ha. Um, well, not at the South Pole. Mm-hmm. Um, the only uh, actual wildlife at the South Pole is is really hardy amoebas. Um, but but John and I did go for. A, a, a week of vacation to the coast of the the coastal beaches of Antarctica and I remember actually we were wandering around in our t-shirts in minus 5 can you believe it i can't believe it <laughs> <laughs> and and there were and there were penguins there and and one of the most striking images i remember was this we, we went on an ice-cutter cruise. They kept poleys very busy because apparently poleys would get in trouble when they were on their week of vacation. But anyways, <laughs> we went on this fabulous ice-cutter cruise, and yeah. while we were out, we saw this circle of emperor penguins, and, and they reminded me like of druid priests at Stonehenge. It was wow. such a phenomenal picture.
0: What do you think the, the penguins thought of the polies? Like oh here we <laughs> go again oh these two are from Canada eh? Yeah eh. <laughs> <laughs> I
1: I don't think the penguins were thinking about us. I I think they were not wanting to uh, get eaten. <laughs>
0: uh, how about the? Um, was there a lot of jokes and pranks pulled on each other down there for entertainment?
1: Well, yes there there definitely was pranks. I I, mm-hmm. I think. Uh, w- one, one I can remember in particular was the, 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 four, the, the uh, carpenter foreman. He, he fell asleep on the couch in the galley. And then we had this really large stuffed dog because we're, we're not allowed to have animals down there. So we had a very large oh. life, life-size stuffed dog that was our pet. And so we, we put the dog on top of this guy sleeping and, and then we took a photograph of it. So that was pretty hilarious.
0: We've got about a minute left, uh, Jennifer. What are your final thoughts for the Exxon Nation tonight about, about your visit down to the South Pole?
1: Well, I, I think that's a, very, that's, that's a very grand question. I, I think it was incredible being down there and seeing the science, like at mm-hmm. the dark sector with the radio telescopes, they're probing the, they're they're probing the beginning of the universe, you know, they're looking at the cosmic microwave background radiation, and they're figuring out the parameters of the universe and looking at dark energy and dark matter, and then there's, there's Ice Cube, a telescope looking straight down and looking for high-energy neutrinos, and I think they're on the verge of major breakthroughs. So it was really It was just really incredible to be down there but also there was a sense at the south pole is that we're fragile we're human we're moody i remember there was nights i'd be out looking at the aurora and it was almost like i could hardly feel it because i was so caught up in my own negativity you know or or just being human and and i and i think i i I think i just i really want to share with people just our intimate experiences like it, it was just one of the harshest Places to be, but yet it was one of the most magical places on earth. And so I think our story—we're really trying to share our humanness, yeah. to be be honest, amidst
0: well, the Jennifer, that we was hate to do so this. We hate to do this, but we've run out of time. I want to thank you so much and congratulations to you and John for a great book. And Nation, the name of the book is One Day, One Night: Portraits of the South Pole. The website is www.portraitsofthesouthpole.com. I'll be back after the news at six and a half minutes past the top of the hour. Don't go away. Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi Fi, you can still listen to the X zone Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X 1, Dimension X? Find out more, Exonation Nation, and read reviews on www.genesisgrid.co.uk. That's www.genesisgrid.co.uk. Jennifer McCallum is my guest, www.portraitsofthesouthpole.com. Did you ever have an awe all inspiring or awe moment while you were down on the South Pole and if so can you share it with us?
1: Um that's that that's a good question. Um I I think I think most of my real awe moments happened at very ordinary times and that's for example I'd have a difficult day, or I'd be feeling frustrated, mm-hmm. or, or that sort of thing. And then I would walk home from work, I'd leave the galley, I'd walk through the underground archways that had the smell of JP8 fuel, and then I would fight with the door latch, which was always frozen, and I would push and shove and try to get it open, and sometimes I, it would suddenly open and I'd fall fall through the door out onto the Antarctic Plateau, And then, and then suddenly I would just quiet quiet down, my soul would quiet, and I would look up and there would just be this incredible aurora or just all the stars, and it would be like I was suddenly in a celestial temple. And I would say repeatedly that was the most incredible experience at the South Pole.
0: You're flying into the, the, into the base on a Hercules you get off the aircraft and you realize that you are standing at the bottom of the world. What did that feel like?
1: It was it was very overwhelming. Um, and I, I I remember when when we touched down and we were all crammed into the Hercules aircraft. That these aren't fancy commercial liners. We're all sitting on web seating, our our knees pushed together, and Somebody marches back, the, the crewman marches across our knees, and then he shoves, he, he un, unleashes, unlashes our luggage, a huge skid, and he, he shoves it out the back of the plane. So that was, and, <laughs> and that was shocking. And then when I tried to stand up uh, to walk out of the plane, I could barely walk because I was uh, so over the weight limit. I had shoved all kinds of heavy stuff in my parka pockets, and my carry-on, so I could barely walk. Um, and then once I got to the plane door, it was like all these black flies with razor teeth swarmed me. It was, the cold was astounding. Like, I didn't know it was possible to be so cold. <laughs> uh, and, uh, but once I got off the plane, mm-hmm. I, I, I stopped, you know, and we were at high altitude, so I was really out of breath, but I stopped and looked around. And it was probably the most incredibly beautiful sight I'd ever seen. And uh, so, so when I, I fortunately, I, I, got a, I got a ride to the, the dome, which, which itself was incredible to see. It's an iconic building, a uh, silver geodesic dome.
0: How did you prepare yourself physiologically and psychologically for spending a year down in the South Pole?
1: Well, I, I I hate to admit, but they don't really prepare you. Wow. Um, yeah, so also we, we didn't have a lot of time to prepare. We had about two months. So I was in the middle of my schooling. John was wrapping up a job studying ozone at the North Pole. Um, so we, we had to run around like mad, um, get all our stuff stored, figure out, our tax situation, you know, just lots mm-hmm. of really mundane details that, that had us running like mad for two months until I left. And, and then we, I did go to Denver, Colorado. Uh, we went, um, John, I, I got hired first cause John was waiting to make sure I got a job. So I was officially hired. So unfortunately I was the only one who went, but we did go, or I did go on an outward bound course for a weekend with, mm-hmm. with other hirees. um, but that's about all we did. And we did do psych testing, and I did have to do, both of us had to do extensive uh, medical testing. But in terms of really preparing, really understanding what what it was all about, what kind of supplements we might need, that was really quite sorely lacking.
0: What was living there like? What were the living conditions? You know, how did you do your laundry? What kind of TV did you have? How was the Internet?
1: Well, um, we, John and I, had because we were a married couple mm-hmm. down at the Pole, we had some of the most spacious accommodations. So our room um, was about the size of a, a modest master bedroom. Not really large, but we had two bunk beds pushed together with office space underneath. We had some drawer space and, and a little bit of um, carpet area. So, so that, that was really very nice um other people had much smaller rooms so quite a few people in the winter lived in the dome and then there was also what was called the hyper Tat, which is kind of like a metal almost like a a tiny quonset hut in the in the summer um there was what was called james ways i i think they might have been tents from one of the wars or korean war or some sort of war in the 50s i'm not sure but they were canvas so even though they were heated that's pretty roughing it.
0: Wow.
1: Um, can, can you repeat more of your question there?
0: Yeah, uh, I wanted to know, well, for example, you know, what are the laundry facilities like? What's the television like? Uh, do they have internet up there, down there?
1: Right, right, right. Yeah, so so we had, I mean, wat- producing water is a whole other kettle of fish, but yes, we, we did have a regular washing machine. And we were allowed to do one load of laundry per week per person. So I had to, like, for my uniform mm-hmm. for work, I'd have to wear it two days in a row. So it was pretty stinky. Um, for TV, we we had, it was basically uh, VCRs and TVs. So, you know, videos and, and, and just watching videos. Um the Internet, uh, we relied on several satellites and so we had coverage for about 14 hours a day sometimes better bandwidths than other times um, so it so we were pretty isolated in, in that regard
0: did you did you happen to stay through any of the the south pole storms that we see on TV the blizzards
1: um, yes we we definitely had whiteouts um, the most dramatic now now and now they're not really blizzards it's more it's when the wind gets up to about 30 miles an hour i guess 50 kilometers an hour Mm -hmm. then it kicks up the snow because at the south pole it's actually a desert so we only have about two inches of precipitation in the form of diamond dust two inches per year but um but yes i remember the first week i arrived there was just a terrible storm and everybody got the day off except for kitchen staff, and everybody had to be accounted for. And um, and we actually almost lost um, two, two, two of our workers who were who were wandering around. They, they got disoriented. And, and, of course, at the South Pole, if you get disoriented, that's, that's really bad. So we, we were really lucky that they got found.
0: What are the medical facilities like?
1: Well, um. We have, we had a place called Biomed, and it was not that large of a room. It was, mm-hmm. it was kind of again the size of a large, you know, a maybe a, a child's bedroom, a, a nice sized child's bedroom. And, and then in the back, we we had there was um, a machine for you know you could take people's blood and measure it. We also had an ultrasound machine that, that. Wasn't working at all until we had a disaster, you know, we had a really terrible situation with one of our doctors and then two extremely smart technicians or science people on station were able to uh, get it going. But it's it's pretty basic, you know, it's you know, our our doctor can check, you know, he'll help us if we have minor injuries or that sort of thing. But, um, you know, it's it's basic.
0: God forbid in case of an evac, what happens?
1: Uh, if somebody needs an evac yes well um and during during our year was the first um winter medevac and um generally speaking a medevac is not possible um but our doctor got a gallstone stuck oh, and fortunately we had a nurse on station because of a previous doctor getting sick uh, if you remember jerry nelson dr jerry nelson got medevac two mm-hmm. weeks before station opening um, but anyways our the national science foundation and raytheon polar services made a decision to evacuate our doctor um, but they couldn't do it with uh, the Air National Guard Hercules aircraft, so they actually hired Ken Borick out of Calgary, Alberta, to, to take two weeks and two planes to fly down to the South Pole, and they uh, landed um, in a record-breaking minus 68 uh, degrees Celsius, and in, they couldn't even see the horizon when they landed, so it was it was God. pretty incredible, and they almost didn't take off, <laughs> but they did, and they brought us a new doctor.
0: Fascinating. Uh, we've got about a minute uh, before I have to go for my final break. Um, would you go back?
1: Um, I'd love to go back for a summer, mm-hmm. but uh, wintering for eight months, um, st- where, where you're in you know you're in an extreme environment, mm-hmm. very isolated with you know some people going crazy it, it's pretty challenging, so I, I wouldn't winter again.
0: People go crazy.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, I would say about 20% of the people on station, we were worried about. And, uh, and even even me, you know, I think all of us, you know, you're on ice, you're not touching the earth, there's there's a sense that you're not grounded. Hmm. And yeah, so I, I mean, winter was an incredible time, but but in terms of the stresses on the body, it's really hard on the body.
0: All right, please stand by, and you and I will be back on the other side of this commercial break as you and I wrap up this hour here in the Exxon from our broadcast center in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Exon Nation, our guest this hour, Jennifer McCallum. She is the co-author, along with her husband, Dr. John Bird, One Day, One Night, Portraits of the South Pole, their website, www.portraitsofthesouthpole.com. We'll be back. Don't go away. Jennifer McCallum is my guest of the Sour Explanation: www.portraitsofthesouthpole.com. Jennifer, I understand that there's more than one South Pole.
1: That's correct. As a matter of fact, there's six. Uh, would you like me to uh, tell you about them? I,
0: I really would.
1: Sure. Well, I would consider the most significant to be the Earth's spin axis, um, and it used to be synonymous with the geographic South Pole, um, so the, the spin axis, um, it's right at the south pole, obviously, but it, it moves in nested circles and, and also in squiggles. So, so it's always on the move. Mm-hmm. But there's, there's one thing really interesting about it is that you, you can look at it from two reference points. One, you can look at it from the Earth reference point, and, it's, and the spin axis is, is, is wobbling around. But if you look at it from outer space, the spin axis is firm but it's the earth that's wobbling so if we move to the geographic south pole the geographic south pole is uh, a gps so a cartographic reference point and it's um, created by very complicated mathematical um, models and they keep averaging and they use star positions so so the gps is a point, so that's 90 degrees south at the South Pole, and that's literally like a, a stake banged into the ground. But again, if you look at it from outer space, actually the, uh, the geographic uh, South Pole is wobbling all over the place. So, so it's kind of interesting. Mm. Um, the next one is the uh, South Magnetic Pole. Now, the South Magnetic Pole wanders, and it is about... Um, 2,500 kilometers from the South Pole. And so it's where the Earth's uh, geomagnetic lines, they uh, go vertical, so they go into the Earth at that point. And and the um, South Magnetic Pole is based on the motion of the molten metal in the Earth's core. Now, the South Geomagnetic Pole that's actually a mathematical model so you can't locate it by measurement um, but, and, but the South Geomagnetic Pole is significant because the Aurora Australis, um, they revolve around that pole and that's located, I said by calculation, um, very near Vostok Station, the Russian base in Antarctica. Uh, The next one is the Pole of Inaccessibility, and that's more of a fun one. So all that is is a calculation of the point in Antarctica farthest from all the coastlines, and incidentally, that's also near Vostok Station, and there is some interest from the astronomy community because it's actually even higher than the South Pole. And the final one is the Ceremonial Pole, and this commemorates the Antarctic Treaty. So it's got, it, and it's, it's, a, it's a really fun place to be. There's, there's a barbershop pole, and then there's a big mirror ball on top. Mm-hmm. And then in a larger circle, there's the uh, 12 flags of the original Antarctic signatories.
0: Fascinating. And there you have it. Wow. Yeah. What is so significant about the South Pole to the scientific community?
1: I mean the both it, it's significant both for astronomy and for for doing studies um, of the atmosphere um, so so for the atmosphere mm-hmm. um, it's it's basically the cleanest place on earth. you know it's one of the most it, it's really the most pristine place on earth. also the poles are are where Climate change happens the fastest, so you see the changes. Um, and and because it's so clean and pure, um, atmospheric chemistry um, can be studied in its most natural state, and also the ability of the atmosphere to cleanse itself. And, and some good news is that the atmosphere can cleanse itself better than scientists originally thought, although that certainly doesn't mean <laughs> that we... We, I mean, we certainly need to do everything mm-hmm. we can in terms of climate change. Um, and um, also, ice cores are taken at the South Pole and elsewhere in Antarctica, and they are like tree rings, and they preserve ancient atmospheres with precision. So, so they're kind of like an ancient library that we can consult. And so basically... They can look back and and see the climate record for, for as far back as five hundred thousand years.
0: Wow! Can you know is is the same work being done in the North Pole that is being in, done in the South Pole, and what is the difference of the research between the two poles?
1: Well, that is actually a much better question for for uh, John. Okay. Um, Certainly, they are studying uh, ozone in the North Pole and the South Pole. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly, there is, is, a, is a lot being done, um, and I, but in Antarctica has the larger ozone hole.
0: Gotcha. What about some of the natural phenomena at the South Pole? What can you share with us?
1: Um, well, uh, I think one of the most amazing things is the aurora you know i just Mm -hmm. um and 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 the evolving seasons i mean it's it's just one of the most exquisitely beautiful places ever um and uh but but just you know there's a it's a you're on two miles of ice it's it's a it's a plateau of ice extending for miles in every direction and the the sun rises and sets once per year as i Mm -hmm. said and the sun moves sideways um and another thing, because you're right on the spin axis of the world, the, you're always looking at the same stars. They're, they're always there. So, um, and the, the moon rises for two weeks, and then it sets for two weeks. So while, while the moon is up, it kind of feels like you could imagine the sunlight on Pluto. And, and, and while it's down, you're just in this black void. Um, and also the planets. They're up for half of their journey around the sun. So Mars is up for a year and then down for a year. Jupiter is up for six years and and down for a year.
0: How did and then how did being how did being at the South Pole affect your religious beliefs?
1: Well, I I mean I I was I was raised Christian mm-hmm. um, and. And I would I would consider myself now more post Christian. Um but at the same time very I, I mean I'm very open to a religious experience. Mm-hmm. I, I think the South Pole because I was so far away from everybody, you know, you're you're five percent of the way to the moon I think it, it gave me more freedom to think by myself, and, and, it, and it was a very challenging place to live. While it was so incredibly beautiful, it, it, was, it was very, very difficult at times. And, and I think I found an inner inner resiliency. And then to just to be immersed in the South Pole, like to go through a solstice. You know, I, I, you know, I grew up. You know, solstice was bad because it was pagan. You know, but then at the but at the South Pole, all of a sudden you're 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 at you're at the solstice and and you know it's the darkest time of the year and you just feel this connection to the ancient peoples who celebrated it. It was just it was it was so visceral, and so I, I think somehow, I the South Pole helped me kind of let go of the religious beliefs that were negative mm-hmm. and the negativity inside me, and it just kind of helped me see the universe as a playground a place that I could explore and a place that was safe to be.
0: As a musician, how did your experience at the South Pole affect your music?
1: Um, I'm always drawn to landscapes. I, I like to describe landscapes with my music. Mm-hmm. And so being being immersed in the Antarctic landscape, which is kind of just scene, there's no scenery, you know. there's no trees, no rocks, there's just sky and ice, mm-hmm and And then there's these waves in the snow and and so it was kind of i I was always immersed in this in this very i mean it sounds very sparse, but it was actually a very rich world to me. It was very inspiring and there and there was quite a number during during the during the winter um there was quite a number of musicians on station and so so I wrote, and I did have a composition teacher uh, back in Toronto send send uh, what I was working on to and then I would do readings with people and that was such a special experience um, I also sang in a quartet and uh just and practiced i remember i remember practicing and 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 basically crying you know when when the sun was about to set, because I was so frightened of the dark, but but it always seemed like a lot of my experiences were mediated through music, and it would it would calm me.
0: How many people were on the South Pole at the time you were there?
1: Well, the South Pole is divided into two seasons, really, into summer mm. and winter, and summer is. Um, is defined by when it's warm enough for hercules aircraft the largest ski equipped aircraft in the world to fly into the south pole and then so the eight months of winter is when it's too cold um, for aircraft to fly in so during the summer there was approximately 225 people on station. And when I was earlier describing the at- activities, I was talking about the summertime. Yeah. And then in, in the winter, there was 50 of us on station.
0: You and I have to take our news break at the bottom of the hour, Jennifer, so please stand by. Exonation. Jennifer McCallum is my special guest. We're talking to Jennifer about the book she wrote with, John, with Dr. John Bird, entitled One Day, One Night, Portraits of the South Pole. And we'll be back right here on the Exxon Broadcast Network from our studios, not at the South Pole, but in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, on the shores of Lake Ontario. My name is Rob McConnell. Once again, Jennifer McCallum is my guest. www.portraitsofthesouthpole.com www.williamspeckham.com. The Exxon Radio Show with Rob McConnell is largely an opinion talk show. And welcome to the X-Zone, everyone. I am Rob McConnell, and for the next four hours, I am your host and your guide, as together we cross the time-space continuum to this place that I call the X-Zone. It's a place where people dare to believe and dare to be heard. It's a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. And the X-Zone comes to you Monday through Friday from 10 p.m. Eastern until 2 a.m. Eastern, right here on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, Talkstar Radio Network, Mutual Broadcast Network, and iHeartRadio. If you'd like to send me an email, exon at TV.com on all social media sites, Radio TV, And uh, for all the great programming we have available for you, 724 365 on the Exxon Broadcast Network, visit www.xzbn.net. Exonation, my first guest tonight is Jennifer McCallum, along with Dr. John Bird. She wrote One Day, One Night Portraits of the South Pole. Joining me now is Jennifer McCallum, and Jennifer, welcome to the X-Zone.
1: Thank you so much. Pleasure to be here. It's
0: great having you. Uh, Tell tell us a little bit about yourself.
1: Sure. Um, I'm a musician, and I am a church musician currently playing at a couple of uh, local country churches, Mm -hmm. and I'm a busy mom raising two daughters.
0: What was the inspiration for going to the South Pole?
1: Well, um, I was working on my master's in music composition, Mm -hmm. and one day, John burst in the door and said, "Uh, do you want to move to the South Pole? And I was completely taken aback, and uh, he explained a little more and said, well, I was just uh, talking with my old Ph.D. supervisor from the University of Illinois, and Mm -hmm. he's offered me a job there for a year. Do you want to go? And I just, it was just right out of the blue. I couldn't believe it. And then he really didn't skip a beat and he said, well, hurry up and start applying for jobs. You don't have any time to lose and you can think about it. Well, you do that. And, and I was like, well, okay. Uh, And then I did think about it and, and I thought, you know, it's been his childhood dream to Mm -hmm. go to Mars. So why don't we just, why not? Let's just go to the South Pole. I have no idea what I'm getting into, but Let's do it.
0: Let me ask you, 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 John said apply for jobs starting now. What kind of jobs would anybody apply for down on the South Pole?
1: Well, there's actually uh, quite a lot of jobs. Um, The United States Antarctic Program um, deploys about 5,000 people a year. Mm -hmm. So science and science tech type people can be funded internationally by the National Science Foundation, and then support staff um, need to be U.S. citizens. So, there's lots of jobs. There's everything from just general work. I, I, I got a job as a dishwasher mm-hmm. to um, network specialists, communication spe- specialists, med- medical people, um, people who operate heavy equipment, construction people. It's just, you know, lo- lots and lots of people.
0: You know, when people think of the South Pole, they think of one of the second, uh, one of the two most cold places on this planet. And to go down there, if, I, I must be honest with you, dear. I wouldn't want to go down there. I'm, I, I, get, I get cold here in Hamilton, for goodness sake. I'd probably fee, uh, you know, freeze my Tuckas off down in the South Pole. Um, the title of your book is intriguing, One Day, One Night. Why is that the title?
1: Well, um, it's because the South Pole is actually at the very spin axis mm-hmm. of the Earth, um, different rules apply there so where we have a 24 hour day night cycle on the rest of the world because of the that's how long it takes the earth to spin right. the day and the night at the south pole is determined by the yearly journey around the sun so a day is actually six months and a night is six months
0: oh my gosh how did that uh change in daytime nighttime affect you physiologically
1: um it was when i when i first arrived at the south pole it it was very overwhelming and and just this constant daylight it it kind of i almost felt like you know the first week i was there it was kind of like the sun was following me around it was always the same height in the sky and it'd be somewhere else (laughs) and you'd go to a party and come back out at midnight and there was the sun and and it i think it it made it challenging for sleeping it, it was crazy and then and then it, when when the sun went down and it was dark all the time you almost got this gr- sense of being in ground the movie groundhog day you know the same yeah. day after, you know or same night i guess <laughs> living the same day of your life over and over again it was it was really strange although i have to say the night was one of the most Beautiful things I've ever experienced in my whole entire life.
0: Share that with us.
1: Sure. Um, well, um, the 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 night was heralded by the sunset, and mm-hmm. the sunset took about two or three weeks, and <laughs> it was a... just evolving sunset clouds, changing different colors, and then the the final sunset. Um, actually, it, the sun. When it set, it actually came back up because of um, temperature variations and being refracted up again, and then it was in these gold shimmering bars, and then there was sparkles of purple and green and blue, and it was just this light show that went on for hours. And then and then, the, and then it just gra- then dawned, or sorry, dusk, it, it took about two months and, until we were in complete darkness. And, and the sky, it, it, was, it, was, it was like you were immersed in the sky. It seems at mid-latitudes, you know, you look and the sky is above you. At the South Pole, it, it felt like you were part of it, and there was a, a dimensionality to it and, and subtle color to it. And then we were also there during um, the peak of the solar cycle, which is an 11-year cycle, so there's a lot more storms on the sun. So that meant the aurora, now down there it's the aurora australis rather than the aurora, aurora borealis, mm-hmm. which is the northern lights. And they were incredible. It, they, they were brilliant greens and reds, and they danced, and it was like seeing speeded-up clouds, and you see shapes in it. Like I remember, you know, seeing this trumpet unfurling. And, and, uh, and it was incredible.
0: How long were you down there?
1: Well, I... Um, I was down there for just a little bit more than a year, and John arrived about a month after me because dishwashers were in higher demand. Mm-hmm.
0: What is life like down there? You know, uh, What do you do besides work and sleep?
1: Well, uh, during the summer, a, a lot of it was work and then sleep, mm-hmm. um, because I did work 10 hours a day, 6 days a week. However... Um, there there was definitely a lot of fun to be had and uh, when John arrived we we got right down to kite photography and really got some incredible aerial views. Now it was a bit challenging because we lived um, basically right at an airport and so our first flight narrowly missed killing our camera with a a large crane but that was that was a lot of fun. Uh, There was construction going on so we had tours of the construction and they were tunneling deep under the ice not well not really deep but you know around 30 feet down and doing utility tunnels and those were incredibly beautiful imagine just these ice walls pristine ice walls Uh, we played croquet outside one fellow sunbathed regularly i had no idea how he did that because it was very cold Um, john and i practiced Headstands uh, for a photo, so we could flip it upside down and look like we were hanging off the bottom of the world.
0: Expeditions
1: <laughs> were, yeah, no way. <laughs> Expeditions were arriving. Uh, tourists were flying in. There were science lectures, um, uh, crazy parties. The polies, as, as people are called, that go to the South Pole. I, I've never been to any parties like it. Like you know, we all dress in fairly, you know, basic. Almost grubby clothing and and so on, but at these parties, you know, the, it was shocking how well people dressed up. And uh, and then also, um, I I uh, mounted one of my uh, compositions called the Millennium Oratorio. So it was a a kind of a a short piece describing the. Uh, how uh, the universe was uh created and so it was ideally for a large choir and uh, a wind ensemble but uh, from the dish pit window i i got to meet everybody and so I interviewed everybody and managed to get myself 12 musicians. So we so we mounted this. So it was a little challenging because I wasn't on anybody else's schedule, and people would often go to the bar and drink beforehand before rehearsals. But <laughs> in the end, uh, we mounted mounted it, and and it was a lot of fun.
0: You and I have to take our first break, uh, Jennifer. Thanks so much for joining us. Explanation: uh, Jennifer McCallum is my special guest this hour, along with uh, Dr. John Bird. She has authored One Day, One Night, Portraits of the South Pole, and the website is www.portraitsofthesouthpole.com. This is the Exxon. I am Rob McConnell. We're coming to you from our broadcast center in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, on the Exxon Broadcast Network, Talkstar Radio Network, Mutual Broadcast Network, and, of course, iHeartRadio. If you'd like to send me an email, exxon at exxonradiotv.com on all social media sites, TV. And for all the programming we have available for you 24-7, 365 on the Exxon Broadcast Network, visit www.xzbn.net. Jennifer McCallum and I will be back on the other side of this break. Don't go away.